Welcome everybody to this week's Legal Tech Week. It's our year end edition. It's December 30th, 2022. And we're going to spend a little time today looking back at some of the top stories of the year and uh, offer a few thoughts about what's likely to uh, be coming down the pike over the next 12 months or so. Uh, I'm Bob Ambrosi. I have the blog Law Next and the podcast. Uh, I have the blog Law Sites and the podcast Law Next. Um, and uh, our panelists today, uh, first of all, we have to extend a huge congratulations to Joe Patrice, who is now a father to be. So, congratulations, Joe. <laughs> yep. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I guess that's my intro too. That's your uh, intro. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Uh, I, and I'm Joe Patrice from, from above the law and thinking like a lawyer podcast, uh, which I guess hopefully you already knew or else that congratulations, you don't really care all that much, but uh, so yeah. Um, and I'm here in the office of our sibling blog fashionista. It's not like above the law has had a, um, a weird decorative decoration change. This is just our fashion blog. I honestly thought you were in like a teenager's bedroom. I was very confused. <laughs> All I could think of was the British show, absolutely fabulous. You know, you're... right? There's a lot of that energy with this blog. Yeah. <laughs> do you have a military blog too, or something like that? We do. We do. Yeah. Uh, have you? What are their med, offices? Medical. Like? <laughs> you know, I actually don't know if they have physical offices anymore. Although oh. they do have an office space in the Pentagon. I know uh, for oh. when they're working there. Oh, that's cool. All right. Well, and uh, Steve Embry, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, Steve Embry, I write the blog Tech Law Crossroads, also chair of the ABA Law Practice Division for this year. And I do not have an interesting background and I do not, I'm not affiliated with any organization that has a, an office in the Pentagon. But, um, <laughs> you know, I do what I can. <laughs> Sounds good. And Gina Grady. Uh, I'm Gina Graham, the um, the author and editor of the Dewey B Strategic blog, uh, which focuses on um, research and KM technologies, and I also write for the Legal Tech Hub website. And last but not least, Stephanie. Oh, um, and I, can say, I have a great I have a grandchild on the way. <laughs> oh, congratulations! Um, I have nothing on the way. I'm Stephanie Wilkins, you know uh, editor, editor in chief of Legal Tech News at ALM, and today I am up in the Hudson, no, in the Catskills, in this weirdly massive Airbnb that is basically like an art gallery and has a sculpture garden, and it's very strange. But I'm taking a break from that to see all of you. Oh, nice! Mm -hmm. And do they have like a wild and crazy New Year's Eve blowout there? I don't. I mean, we just got here last night, and we were like, "What?" They definitely undersold the Airbnb listing, which is rare. Usually, they oversell. I was like, "I need to do your PR because this place is crazy." Oh, nice. And there's like a vineyard on it. I'm very unclear, but yeah, yeah. But legal tech, yay! <laughs> All right. Well, so uh, so we want to talk about the top stories of the year, um, and. Uh, I, I was I don't know where, where to whether to start or end with ChatGPT. I guess we were just talking about this before we went on because some of us listed that as a top story of the year. Some of us listed it as a top story of next year or likely to be a top story of next year. Uh, but maybe we can talk about that a little bit and, and get our thoughts. I mean, I think Steve, you're one of the people I think who kind of put it down as a, a top story <laughs> of this year. What, what were you thinking there? Well, I mean, it it just seemed to be a uh, 
a, a door opening into a completely new uh, uh, paradigm um, for legal tech where you can, you know, so it sort of was like the, the move to um, uh, online legal research years ago. I mean, you used to have to go to the office and look in the books, and then all of a sudden you couldn't look in the books. You didn't have to look in the books. You could do it online, which meant you could work from home, which meant you didn't have to go to the office on Saturday, which meant the office didn't need the library. And so all these things just went on and on and on and on. And, and I was, as I was thinking about it, I, I was just wondering whether this development and what this this AI tool end up and similar AI tools could do in the future. And it just seemed to be sort of a milestone development in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I just, uh, you know, I sort of, you know, most of what lawyers do is based on written work, uh, you know, for, for better or worse or for more or less. And um, now that that mainstream body of time, particularly for the lawyers that build by the hour, can be so short-circuited. I, I can very easily see, you know, taking a hundred depositions and, and downloading into the program and then asking the program to create a statement of facts based upon, you know, some guideposts that you gave it and churning out something in a matter of minutes that used to take hours, weeks, days, whatever you have. So to me, that was a significant milestone that yes, it could lead to a lot of things next year and the year after that and whatever. But to me, it just, it seemed like a, a, uh, pretty big development in legal that could affect a lot of things. So that's why I had it as one of the top stories. Actually, I didn't write the story, Stephanie and Joe and others and Jane all wrote stories and I just copied from it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I also agree that there has been uh, a development in several legal products, like Lexus did their um, fact, now, now I'm blanking on it. Uh, their new fact fact searching product, uh, Westlaw did Precision and uh, Fact and Issue Finder. Yeah. yeah, Fact and Issue Finder. Thank you, Stephanie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then you know, Case Text has all search, which I understand can work on all different kinds of text. So there's definitely already some momentum building. I think in terms of legal research, though, the challenge will be, because I think lawyers already have anxiety about whether associates know what they're doing. And when the more associates simply get presented with an answer, it's gonna have to be tied back to a precedent. I mean, I think we're really in danger of people thinking it, it's going to give all kinds of legal research, like a gloss of simplicity that really isn't there. There still needs to be some vetting and authenticating and verification even though technology is going to be spewing out more and more answers. Yeah, you're right, Gene. I was just thinking as, as you were you were talking back in the days when I would write briefs that you know there was there's always a <clears throat> sort of a significant time and energy associated with doing these statement of facts. And a lot of the facts are just, you know, not even in dispute. You just have to have a citation to them or something, you know, and you they just have to be churned out on the paper. And that was always time consuming. Yes, applying a lot of those facts and applying, picking out the right facts is, is a is a is a human task. But boy, if, if I could have had something that would just spit out sort of just regurgitated these sort of mundane facts that have to be present on the paper, 
without a lot of work, that would be, wow, that'd be great. <laughs> well, I think, I don't know if anybody saw the post this week from uh, Dan Katz and Michael Bomarito that they, they wrote, just published a, uh, a law review article, I guess, on SSRN uh, entitled GPT takes the bar exam. Yes, and, uh, I, I, I haven't read the full article, but the abstract, according to the abstract, uh, they, uh, the uh, GPT was able to pass uh, at least the evidence and torts sections of the bar exam. Uh, it was not, it was like any of the short answer or essay ones, right? Not the, was that right? I, I, same I, thing. I think I so. I didn't read the, the full, but, I, yeah. I didn't read the full, uh, I, I'm even looking at the, even the abstract is, is a little bit too abstract for me. It talks about uh, uh, this. Uh, we find that the hyperparameter optimization and prompt yeah. engineering positively impacted GPT 3.50 shot performance. I don't know what that means. So yeah, uh, I have that. I have that tab <laughs> open to read because I saw that too. But yeah. But but I mean, I think I was for me, I was on the fence between whether this is uh, a 2022 story or a 2023 story, and I and I fell down and. I fell down on the side of saying this this is going to be huge at legal in the coming year. I really think it is. I mean, I, I think we have reached a turning point here uh, and uh, already any number of companies are developing law specific products around this technology, but we haven't seen them yet. Uh, and and so the to, to any great extent and, and little, you know, playing around with some little things, but we haven't really seen anything major. Uh, we do have, um, you know, I, I talked recently about Harvey. I think a couple of us wrote about Harvey, and and it's one where I I've, I did see a demo of it, but they haven't publicly released the demo of it yet, and it's very cool. And if if the public release ends up being, you know, what I saw or better, uh, it just that's just one product that I think is going to be really a game changer, potentially a game changer in, in how lawyers do stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, I guess the question is, is legal research going to go the way of penmanship and spelling? I mean, is it not going to be a core skill anymore? Well, I mean, we keep, we keep saying cursive. research, but what about drafting? Cursive. Yeah, that, yeah, like, I feel like a lot of this, the basic contracts and things like that, that even you just get like a lot of companies have built themselves around like, oh, we'll handle all your NDAs, we'll handle all your whatever, because it's rote. Do those, do you even need that anymore? See, oh, I also yeah, fell those... down on this being a next year thing, even though like I am obsessed with generative AI in general. And if Nikki were here, she and I, like we've talked <laughs> about this, but um, tech-wise, pure technology-wise, I don't see a bigger thing that's going to change 2023 personally. I think that's why I fell down on it being a future story even though I'm obsessed with it about 2022 also. But yeah, I really just think it, like you were saying, it could it could eliminate a lot of the core skills that even, you know, not that long ago we came up having to know. Yeah, I mean, I think the, I think you raise a great point with the transactional stuff. Uh, when we talk, you know, we started this by talking about briefs because I think we have kind of come at it from a litigation background and legal research and so, such, but it's it's going to be replacing the transactional work that is rote, that is the same thing over and over. Uh, to the extent there's any decision making, it's going to spit out, here are the three options you could use in this situation, and you just choose one of the three. It's going to be that kind of a game. Uh, and pretty soon, I think that that's going to happen. The Getting it into the litigation world is going to take longer. It's going to take 
I think it won't really work in the litigation world until we reach a point where it it's it interfaces with something else. Uh, it needs to be in that situation <laughs> where it can interface with some of those cool features that uh, you know we've seen Lexus come up with, where where it can go through and say, "Oh, you're in front of this judge with this issue. These are the." eight cases that she cites whenever she's heard these and whatever and what she thinks about them. And when it can plug into that and come back with, okay, here's what you are going to be talking about. Maybe that'll be useful, but until it can play well with that sort of, those sorts of analytics, I don't think it's going to be a thing in I, litigation. But I think they and, and are think, working on that. I think that. Yeah, well, I'm happening. sure they are. I mean, like even mm -hmm. Compose, Compose, Compose was already you know, enabling lawyers to draft motions. So I think, yeah. I think we are further along. I, I think everybody's hiding their cards. That's what I think. I think we're going to see things that people yeah, sure. aren't talking about yet. Right. Well, I mean, because yeah. we're we're living in a GPT three world, or arguably three point five with Chat GPT. GPT four is going to be next, and then five. And like when I had conversations for my article, the people in the know are just like, "You have no idea what's coming." Not only will it be like three, this chat AI or this chat GPT is exponentially stronger than anything we've seen before. But like the whole idea going forward, you were saying like on the litigation side is that once you sort of get these tools and you can individually train your own models on within say all your firm documents and not just the general legal to differentiate, like, you know, the Patrice law firm writes in this way and train it on all your briefs as opposed to the Wilkins law firm. That's when it can really be more powerful on the things that are still kind of routine, but less rote, you know? Yeah. So, I think, you imagine the fights uh, when lawyers say, I don't want his briefs training, <laughs> training the search engine. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. just to go back to defend my, my original point, well, I think it was a story this year because it's a, to me, it's very important that I be right and you guys be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we can just put the question to chat GPT yeah, and see what it says. Particularly when it comes to how many angels are dancing on the head of a pen, really it doesn't make any difference. But the, and then my way of thinking about it, you know, it's, it's sort of follow up on Stephanie and Joe's point. You know, I don't, I can't, I don't know exactly where this is going to go next year. I mean, there's going to be some fundamental changes and some fundamental disruptions, but at predicting where and how at this point, you know, it's it's like if, you know, when Lexus Nexus first came Lexus first came out with legal online legal research, who would have thought we wouldn't have libraries anymore? Who would have thought we would have been working in the cloud? Yet you can sort of connect those dots backwards. And so that's why I stuck it in this year's story because here and now it's a big development where it ends up. Who knows? And that's why I'm right in the wrong room. Well, yeah. you know, but I also think it's going to have a profound impact on staffing. I mean, what is it going to do to associate classes? I mean, because we're talking about both on the litigation side and the transactional side. And the and the work that associates get trained on is the work that's going away. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. the optimist the side other... of me, the optimist side of me, which doesn't exist. If it did, I probably wouldn't have quit big law. <laughs> but if the optimist side of me would be like, we can let those associates do actual work rather than like using them as billing machines for garbage. But that's not going to happen. Yeah. The other well, thing I, I wonder think... about too with oh. this is is the potential impact on the judiciary and you know clerks, clerkships, because a lot of what law clerks do for judges is doing what this this AI will do. And so, right. you know, we may end up with our Supreme Court opinions being written by chat. And chat. That's yeah. that, that could be preferable. Which might be better. That could be a good thing. 
But I can think about that. Like when we were just saying you could train it and say the voice of a different firm, but that's even a more specific, like it's, if you put in every, you know, Ginsburg opinion ever, you could train it to write an opinion in the voice of Ginsburg more so like as a single person, like that's actually really interesting to me. So in the future, I could, I could, I could have my blog post to be written in the voice of Bob Ambrosia and, you know, yeah. I, I could make a lot of money doing that because it would be really good. <laughs> if only, if only I made a lot of money doing that. <laughs> Joe, Joe, were you you're trying to say something? Or? Oh, I, I was just going to say, as far as the training aspect, I, yeah, I mean, I, it's a problem, but it's a problem that's been going on in a bunch of areas for a while, right? Because I, I'm one of those folks who feel like I learned a lot of how not to do things by discovery, just reading bunches of documents and learning what was and wasn't good. And all that's gone now. Uh, that all gets handled before an associate ever even touches the thing. So I feel like, I don't know, I, I worry that training, I worry about training. I have kind of hope that they will come up with new ways of training around all of these things. Uh, but, you know, my brain thinks you have to have some experiential work with it. Yeah, well, I mean, and that adds into not to change topics. I'm sure we'll get there. That and it, that compounded on top of the remote work aspect where you don't mm -hmm. get face to face training. Right. Yeah. 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 I the, uh, the, the thing I just keep thinking about with with this is what's what's the even longer term future? Because the companies that I've talked to so far that are building legal products around this seem to be going out of their way to make the point that they're building products for lawyers to help them, you know, work more efficiently, you know, get get a start on drafting a document or get a start on research. But but there still has to be that human component in there. But at what point does does this AI get so sophisticated that you're basically getting rid of the middleman, the lawyer, in terms of delivering legal advice to the consumer. I mean, this was the threat, you know, years ago when the New York Times said robots are replacing humans uh, okay. in, in legal work. Uh, at that point, it really wasn't true, but it seems like it could be true at some point. Well, and this Go ahead. Well, no, this came up also, like David Horgan mentioned it a little bit in our relativity panel, and he had written an article before I got to LTN, for LTN, about whether or not technology can engage in the unauthorized practice of law when people try to use it for things like that. And there are, it's an issue that has just started to come up. So, I mean, that could be a bigger deal if it really goes down that road. Yeah. I noticed just to, I know some people are posting questions in the Q&A and some are posting in the chat. I was wondering, I think, I hope the chat's working. Okay. So we've had a couple of times on the show where it wasn't working right, but it seems like it is, I think. But uh, uh, either way, uh, might be easier if you post questions into the chat or comments into the chat for us to see them there. Um, well, uh, I, I don't, I, so I don't think Steve, I don't think anybody's saying you're wrong. I think we're all it's saying okay we're, it's a little bit of like, do we come down on, you know, on December 30th or do we come down on January 1st in terms of where this is a big issue? Uh, and it, it's clearly a big issue. It's clearly something everybody's already talking about. Uh, and uh, it's just going to get bigger in the year ahead. So we, we'll give you credit for pegging it first. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. <laughs> New Year's Eve is such a false construct. Like, you know, come on. It's yeah. just the big thing right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
well, you know, but good. I'm just thinking, isn't the ultimate determiner of what it means the the profits per partner? Because at the end of the day, partners are going to figure out, you know, what wh how does how does all of this affect revenue? And of having, you know, one, <laughs> one or two associates per law firm, you know, drastically explodes revenue. That's where it's going to go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, what were some other top stories of the year? Who, uh, Joe, do you, you, uh, what, one of the picks you had, Joe, I think the pick, the main pick you had for a top story was actually one of the, another one that I was kind of wrestling with as, as, okay. as identifying as a top story. So which one you is want that? To talk about that. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> you said what? <laughs> well, the uh, conferences. Oh, conferences. Okay, yes. Return to um, full-fledged conferences, yeah. Yeah, so we went back to conferences. So that was cool. Um, and obviously, we'd had some stuff uh, pop up over the course of the pandemic uh, here and there. But this was the first year of like real honest conferences all, all the way through. We got to see everybody uh, show their, you know, throw off some rust and come back. Uh, it was very interesting. Uh, you know, we, I think, I think it's safe to say that, you know, we enjoy going to these things because we get a kind of a, we can kind of whatever the opposite of microdosing is, we get to have like a full, we have the full, <laughs> the full fire hose. I was going to say fire hosing news. is exactly yeah. what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. We get access to the full fire hose of news. And so that's very great. Um, and, you know, we see it from different perspectives because I think, uh, what, as much as some conferences might want to be it, uh, no conference is all things to all people. So we get different angles at different shows. Uh, so that was very exciting too. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be, um, it's going to be a while till everybody gets everything right again. I know, uh, Bob, you wrote an article about, uh, one of our favorite shows kind of being a little off its game. Uh, I wrote an article about one of, uh, the shows where we learn a lot being, less than accommodating. Um, but you know, we've, we've had experiences throughout the year as people kind of adapt to a new world, they get, you know, they still doing some hybridization here and there. Uh, but it's, it, it's nice to be getting back to in person. And, uh, so yeah, I thought that was a big story in the tech world because, you know, people have to get back to marketing themselves to uh, live human beings, which they haven't been for a couple of years. And, you know, that changes how you market. Yeah, it was, it felt good. It was just a return to normalcy as well. It just, it was good to be uh, with human beings <laughs> in the yeah. same room live at the same time and uh, having, uh, having drinks and uh, talking and conversations and everything else. Uh, and by the same room, I mean a very, very tiny, dingy room far away from any of the programming at some of those conferences. Or one. With, with, anyway. with only tea and water. Are you talking about, um, you know, uh, yeah. I'm, I'll be out at the uh, Consumer Electronics Show next week, which is one of the largest shows. And they are certainly acting as if it is going to be just like it was in wow. 2019. Um, you know, it's an international show and uh, there's no, you know, they say, well, you probably should get yourself tested before you come, but only if you want to. Um, 
kind of thing. So I, I'm really going to interested to see how it all sort of plays out next week. And, um, and Steve says the press know. room there has three full meals a day and they give the press special <laughs> access to the exhibit hall. That's, that's true. And we get not only do we get tea and water in the press room, we get coffee and Cokes, too. <laughs> wow. Unheard of. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else what else there is to say about conferences other than it was good to be back and uh, look forward to many more. Uh, it's already shaping up to be a busy conference here in 2023 for all of us, I'm sure. Um, Gene, what do you have for? Uh... Well, I I had one thing, but I sort of pivoted. I think related to what what <laughs> you want Joe to explain said, why or not? That's okay. I think back to <laughs> off, back to the office probably was the biggest. Uh, no, yeah. Story because lawyers are struggling with the real estate versus culture versus retaining young young associates. No one is comfortable where they have come down on. <laughs> young lawyers want to, in general, want to be at home. Older lawyers generally want to be in the office, and I think law firms are not going to make the hard choice until they have a real estate decision to make. And then I think as soon as they are able to give up, you know, 20,000, you know, or a hundred thousand square feet in a downtown, they're going to, they're going to then opt for the, the wonders of total remote work. But I, I know of at least one very large law firm that has gone a hundred percent remote. And that's like 180 degrees from where they were before the pandemic. So yeah. I think that has, has to be the biggest change that we that firms now have to struggle with the internal organizational training culture technology issues related to the return to office yeah and i'll, I'll jump on that too i because i think that's right and i want to also say that there's a i think maybe to almost make it a mini prediction uh on this subject i feel like the next challenge is the recognition that there is a that it that working from home during a pandemic and working from home post pandemic are two very different things and everyone's treating them the same. And that's kind of a problem a, because, a because I think I see a lot of these firms who are trying to deal with how they're going to balance all this. And they just don't understand what the issue is. They're acting like the issue was people liked being at home as opposed to people liked flexibility. Uh, in During the lockdown, they liked minimizing exposure. So it didn't matter if they came in on three set days or three days throughout the week. But now we're in a post-pandemic world. And now the whole argument is flexibility. It is the ability for me to say, I work better on Mondays and Sundays. So that's when I'm coming in, you know, that, and that change is going to be the struggle for the next year. And I absolutely yes. agree because like, I know there are some people out there that just like being in the office all the time and that is fine, but like, I don't mind going in sometimes, but I actually, once you tell me exactly which days I have to go in, that's when I start being like, but like, why, why is Thursday the day, you know? Yeah, yeah, I was, you know, uh, you know. Once again, I guess I'm sort of back asswards because I'm, instead of um, having that as a key story, I had that as a prediction. But I think, the, you know, this coming year is going to we're going to see how that that battleground really 
plays out because maybe, you know maybe you just you know, know something we, we don't know you just <laughs> <laughs> no i doubt but you know it, it's kind of it's kind of ironic because you know we have firms at this point starting to say to associates we want you here you know tuesday wednesday thursday but not the other days because we want you here so you can get trained and have these little inter, these interpersonal contacts with partners but many of the partners who you know don't have to do what they're told necessarily are saying, ah, screw you, I'm going to work from my beach house. And, you know, if I have to meet with my associates in the office, they can be in the office and I'll be at the beach house. So, you know, it's, it's like this sort of very weird sort of situation where the rules, like often in law firms, the rules are, you know, one set of rules for one group of people and one set of rules for another, for a reason that doesn't really Bit with why you're looking at the rules to begin with, but I do think it's that that issue is going to play out, and it's gonna it's gonna be a real battle, I think, over the next year uh, between those competing interests. And Joe, you're right; it is flexibility. It's it's nothing but flexibility, and um, you know, I I don't know. Plus, you've got as Gene put it, all these these big leases that are often long term, so you know management has to justify having this all this office space for some period of time and then all of a sudden they don't have to justify it and it's good it could get very weird (laughs) and and you can't take advantage of the whole hoteling concept if you say a hundred percent has to come in on tuesday yeah the whole Mm -hmm. point uh, it's it's just every bit of this is dumb And, and unfortunately it's you know becoming an issue we've already now heard of people getting their bonuses dinged because a firm said, oh, we determined you were insufficiently in the office. I mean, that is the most big law thing to ever be like, oh. People being associates. And then at the same token, you see the same firms going out and, you know, bringing in a lateral partner who may be on the other side of the country who doesn't have to move, but has a big book of business that can control. Oh, yeah, you don't have to come. No, no, you can work fine just from there. So, so what are we doing? <laughs> I'm curious what you all think about, you know, like, so you have layoffs starting to happen, whether or not they get, there's more of them or not. But even if like you have a coolie, is that enough of a fear factor for firms to hold over the heads of people to be like, yeah, sure. Try to negotiate wanting flexibility. I think it's it's going to like a lot of things in big law firms. It's going to be the unspoken rule, and I think associates are already starting to feel that. You know, the unspoken assumption is that you will be in the office four, maybe five days a week, whether whether you need to be or not. And thinking back to when I was an associate, I think that's how I would have perceived it. If I want to become a partner, I'm not going to jeopardize my partnership chances or my bonus chances. You know just to work at home, um, even though I want to work at home. Um, but I'll come to the office, even though the firm says you don't have to. I mean, um, I had no remote work option technically. Did you, Joe? Um, no, we didn't really need to. There was no like rule that you had to be in. But yeah, like it, we always were in. Well, I mean, I always had enough yeah. work that I had to be there anyway. So, And we also that, didn't that, have quite the remote tech capabilities. You had that whole well, like. Also true. Yeah. But yeah. still, yeah, but like, was such a huge thing that, yeah. Although when I was, uh, when I was a young partner, I was, I worked at home a lot um, with, and I was with a reasonably you know, sized firm, but I also had a pretty big book of business at the time. So I guess I could get away with it is the best way. So who was going to say anything? Yeah. I mean, but and this, that's, that's always, that's always this kind of 
funky thing about law firms is, you know, you've got the book of business, you're more or less going to do what you want. And that's yeah. been true for years and years. <laughs> you can you can be a hero or you can be yeah. a villain. It doesn't matter. The bigger the book of business, the more you can get away with. Oh, none yeah. of these rules are going to apply to partners in any way, shape right. or form. It's only going to be, I mean, right. even back when I just said you couldn't work remotely, I worked for a partner who worked from his beach house in St. Thomas all the time. It didn't apply to him, you know? Right. Yeah. I used to work from my office in St. Thomas all the time too, but I was living in St. Thomas at the time. Uh, Did I I work for you, Bob? And I don't remember. (laughs) Showing off again. What was that conference you attended, Bob? That no one I was going to say, Jean, one of my big predictions for next year is that Bob is the only one invited Uh, to conferences and (laughs) rub it in our faces. (laughs) Um, On that, you know, but just on on the point, I, I, I. just noticing this uh, comment from Dave Rakowski in the chat about, and yet they wonder why people start their own firms. I mean, I, th- I think that's something uh, that in all this talk about how larger firms are treating their staff and associates, we're, we're not addressing the fact that one clear outcome of the pandemic is, has been that it's probably made it easier than ever to start your own firm and 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 do well with starting your own firm or at least go go to a small firm and have more options with a small firm you know both in terms of how you work because i i think it's really clear for a lot of smaller firms that the clients don't really care if you have an office anymore uh it's okay if you're working out of your basement or your family room or or wherever else uh and and the options for getting clients because the world has gone so virtual uh, are greater than ever and there's so many services like the up councils of the world and whatever where you can where you know where you can get work uh, either working directly for clients or working for other lawyers that um, i mean the the fear factor for people who are worried about getting booted out of big firms are you know it's it's just driven by the sort of the mega salaries i guess of big firms but you can go you can start a smaller firm uh, and you can make uh, a, a pretty decent salary uh, and have a more rational work-life balance and uh, be in control of your own fate to some extent. And I would say the same sort of considerations are true on them. We were just talking about the marketing and the sales front where like people, once conferences went away, if you were someone who just felt comfortable just emailing people all day long, like you could market because there are different marketing skills, right? We all know those people that are face-to-face can close any deal. And then there are people that can, are work. I mean, they just work better behind the scenes. So I feel like in some ways it made marketing easier for some people yeah. that could just like yeah. go off on their own. Same sort of idea as the going off on your own as a lawyer. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's go on to the next topic, whatever that might be. Now, Stephanie, I think we already did your top topic of the year insofar as, is that right? Did we do that? No, you did my, my oh. prediction was- Oh, tech. no, we didn't do your top. Yeah, good. Okay, what's yours? Um, It was, I mean, I guess it's kind of legal tech. It's legal tech adjacent, it's e-discovery. It was the whole Alex Jones cell phone debacle. That passes, yep. Yeah, Um, I just, I mean, I, I don't know what else I can say about it that hasn't really been said because it was such a mind-blowing thing, but- um, yeah, I guess people are learning Dropbox is not their friend, or you should maybe learn how to use basic technologies like Dropbox. We saw that twice this year. Um, I thought that was, I don't know, just in terms of a big story. I thought that was one. 
Well, I think it's it's notable. It also because it happened in what happens to be the tenth anniversary of the adoption of the duty of tech competence for lawyers. So here we are, ten years into the uh, adoption of that duty, uh, and you know, <laughs> lawyers are still. Uh, pulling off, uh, you know, inadvertent disclosures and, and uh, stupid email tricks and, and uh, all sorts of other things like that, because there's still there's still just this um, surprising lack of of lack of competence or laziness about being competent uh, well, with regard to technology. Yeah. And I mean, I think it really I might agree on the laziness because like they maybe they now know they're supposed to be competent. So they're so intent on learning like all these intricate e-discovery tools are actually legal tech legal tech tools. Then when it comes to things like Dropbox, they're like, eh, I don't have time. I'm sure this is fine. Because like we're not seeing the mistakes with sophisticated legal technology. We're seeing it with things that I use to like yeah. send pictures to my cousin, like, you know, right. Well, yeah. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, a couple episodes ago, right? The the um, the my case study, which had among the among its findings, the one that jumped out of a lot of us was that so many lawyers are relying on standard retail solutions for legal tasks, like the drop boxes and like you know basic word and stuff like that. Uh, when there are better uh, legal. Yeah crafted options out there uh so yeah I, I feel like this story fits right in with uh yeah well and that's that a bit of topic. a pandemic effect too right where like people scrambled to use whatever they could do when everyone went remote and then two year two three years later they're still using these tools that were not meant for legal when in either they existed beforehand or they've been developed since then but even then, I mean, um, like what's one of the most common mistakes is re redaction, fail, a failure to redact a document properly. And then it gets filed, you know, the classic stories, it gets filed on Pacer and somebody downloads it from Pacer and, you know, realizes it wasn't properly redacted and therefore they can see everything that was in the document. And, and you know, yeah, a lot of people are probably just using Adobe, which is a, I guess you can call it a consumer product. I don't know if you'd call it a legal tech product per se, but it's not hard. It just isn't isn't very hard to redact a document properly uh, in Adobe or, you know, if you're using any kind of uh, uh, litigation prep software or whatever else, it's it's uh, you know, it, it's just built right into it. So, um, I, you know, it just does seem like it's, it's laziness or something uh, with regard to this. Can, can uh, I and, well, it's 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 very tempting to use those those sort of tools like Dropbox because they're so easy to use as compared to some of the, you know, some of the legal tech products that, you know, you might have, might have to click two or three times as, as opposed to one time. And, you know, lawyers get in a hurry. They, you know, they bill by the hour. You can't bill by the hour. We're doing some of the stuff so they do it the quickest way possible. And, oh, oops, oh, well, darn. <laughs> Isn't that a screw up? <laughs> I was yeah. going to raise like a, like sort of a contrarian point of view, which is that at least in large law firms, the notion of the secretary has been decimated. And maybe there are certain tasks that actually would be better if they were delegated. Like the lawyer does the redaction, but somebody else double checks it to make sure it's been done right. I mean, I think, I th and there are, I'm not alone. There are a number of people in large law firms where the secretarial role has been so minimized and you know, secretaries are supporting 22 lawyers that lawyers end up doing so many small tasks that they they're not really getting the right level of support for you know that's a good point jane i was thinking as you were saying that 
I think the title of the book was the Checklist Manifesto. Oh yeah. And were all these different companies and the medical field, they use checklists to make sure that there aren't mistakes. And you know, during all the time that I practiced law, I don't think I ever saw anything remotely similar or heard of anything remotely similar to a checklist. And then now I know how to do that. I go to other people kind of thing. And but the well, statistics are phenomenal when you look at you know, industries that have begun using checklists and the reduction of the number of errors is, is just striking. And the article I just posted in the, the chat, I mean, it actually, we talked to a bunch of e-discovery people like who've been doing this for a long time about the whole, what is the issue? Is it competence? Is it laziness? And it kind of comes down to a combination of both and just lack of vigilance and time. Yeah. They're like, oh, especially the one in like the January 6th committee one where like, they just forgot to deactivate the link. Like, oh, they were just too busy. Like, who, you know? Yeah. But yeah. it matters. I mean, it's a huge deal. Like, it seems like a little thing, and it just, it is. It's a problem. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm going to be a contrarian to, to, to Gene's contrarianism because I think that just it's, it is ultimately the lawyer's obligation to ensure that these things are done right and that the technology is used properly. And if the lawyer, you know, the lawyer should be ensuring that there's somebody doing a second check or a third check. Uh, I mean, in, in any industry, you know, in the, in the journalism world, I mean, nothing nothing gets published, not in the blogging world, unfortunately, but in the print world. I mean, nothing gets published without, uh, you know, at least at least another at least one other editor, if not a copy editor and another editor looking at something before it goes out. Um, so one and- shots fired for some reason. <laughs> Two. <laughs> Two, no. Uh, so maybe this is what the associates will do once Chat GPT replaces them all. It's going to be their job to make sure that things are redacted correctly. Yeah. Well, no. no and I was going to say, like, that's, I mean, this is just a new iteration of, you know, in the past, if a big mistake happened, partners would always try to blame someone below them anyway. Yeah. And, and Chat GPT can be trained to do the, to check the redactions, right? I think you can train it. I mean, generative AI, even if it's not ChatGPT, I mean, like we have music, we have art, well, we have music coming, we have art. Like, I'm pretty sure this stuff you can train to do anything. It's probably just some simple script you could write to make sure without even having to use AI. It's probably yeah. not that hard to check. But Yeah, it would just be I like search it. for every word. Like anytime, you know, Stephanie, if Stephanie was supposed to be redacted and everything, it could just be like search every time. If you see Stephanie, it wasn't redacted. Like, yeah. yeah. I saw a video about like the next, like the GPT, like a little teaser for the GPT-4 thing. It was Megan or something like that I saw. Like, oh, all right. The only one that person really- That movie is both amazing and terrifying and I'm absolutely <laughs> going to watch it, Joe. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, uh, one other uh, topic uh, I want to talk about and then we'll go around with maybe some more predictions. Uh, but uh, my my pick for the top story of the year was, I guess the the- the what the the investment and in M&A situation, the way I put it is kind of normalizing. Uh, it, you know, it's been crazy the last couple of years in the legal tech world. Uh, and uh, the uh, uh, in, investments were off the charts the last few years and, and continuing to, you know, we saw the, the, the sort of the hockey stick uh, going up and up and up in terms of dollars being invested in companies, uh, you know, kind of absurd valuations on companies in some cases, uh, all sorts of M&A activity. Uh, And I think coming into this year, everybody pretty much expected that to continue uh, to to be that way. And then uh, 
you know, not that far into the year, it, things kind of pretty much settle down and, um, uh, and, and uh, I, I use the term normalize only because I, I just keep see, I keep seeing people in the investment world talk about it that way. There was a, a uh, I was I, speaking of that conference I went to that none of you went to that uh, TLTF summit. Uh, Dan O'Day, who's in the audience today, he was ding there. ding ding. Sorry, uh, we're gonna ding every time you mention bingo, it. Now. Where are our bingo cards? Bob but, went to a thing we weren't invited to. That was some, that was a way some of the uh, investment uh, some of the investors who were there who were speakers there talked about it. This is really just a normalization, uh, and and uh, that there's still money available for uh, companies uh, that deserve to get money uh but maybe it's not so easy to get money if you're uh not able to show that you uh are in a position to get money uh the story in the new york times today uh, on the, the sort of whole investment trend over the year and the that story also used that word that this is this kind of a, a normalization of activity so i don't know exactly what that means but clearly activity continues as stephanie demonstrated like about an hour ago uh pulling out a, a story on uh, Volter's Kluwer's acquisition of, of Della out of thin air in the last minute. Yeah, Della AI, just why not end the year with a breaking story about an acquisition, sure. Yep. Uh, and we're still seeing investments and there's still money being put into these companies. And uh, I think, you know, I think it's gonna be maybe, maybe a little bit more stable uh, over the next year, but I, I do think that was kind of a big trend over the past year was that the, the atmosphere, the landscape changed in terms of investment activity in, in the legal tech world. Yeah, right. I mean, I'm fascinated to see where the consolidation goes because, like, I mean, we have running, I won't name names, but like, anytime we have a crazy busy week, we have a running joke, like, amongst our desk being like, oh, this, of course, will be the time that X acquires Y, you know, like, pick two big names in anything. Because, I mean, that's like, we'll inevitably get Thoughts to that. I mean, we know it's a joke, but is it really a joke? Yeah. 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 Yep. Uh, all right. Well, predictions well wait uh wait i think gene gene had a thing real quick gene had a thing what what about well i was just going to say that i i do think yeah. one of the top issues that i wrote about last year was the decline in customer service in legal tech and I, you know i had even done <laughs> a, a, a survey on it you know we started the year with a blow i started the year with a blowout story on you know West shutting down their 24/7 lawyer customer support and then there was this sort of they re, re, they walked it back th like two or three days later but I think in general I, I also had done a survey of the people who read my blog who are largely information service librarians and knowledge managers and there was a consensus that customer support really was in decline and I think part of the problem is that legal uh, even large legal technology companies that charge premium amount you know they, they they're not cheap they want basically to provide customer support like google or facebook which means you never reach a human being i think that's their goal to get there and i don't think that really works in an environment where lawyers are you know working on high stakes uh matters and they, they they need answers. They work twenty four seven. There's all sorts of reasons that the model that the the Facebook customer support model will not work in in uh, legal tech. But Gene, do you think um, do you think part of that decline in customer service may be 
related to the to the increased levels of investment. Um, and by that, I mean, as as more dollars pour in from venture capitalists, they want to see financial returns, perhaps more than they are interested in customer service, which is kind of a not not an issue strictly for legal, but it's an issue you know, across the board. And I just, I've heard that theory from time to time, and I, I wonder whether there may be something to it. It no doubt is a factor. I mean, another th thing I heard, and I haven't confirmed this yet, is that um, one of the big companies let go their technologists who help people with APIs. Now, APIs have been a really hot topic. And why would you let those people go? And I think it does come down to somehow report, reporting to investors that you are streamlining the the headcount. You know, to me, it, it doesn't I mean I, I've been in the legal industry so long. I actually remember when vendors, you know, like like the old Westlaw, you know, when it was when it was a private company, they would say, we have a partnership with you and they would make special adjustments based on the law firm's needs. No one wants to make any adjustments based on, you know, no matter how many millions of dollars you're giving them, one size fits all. Yeah. Well, there's certainly a lot of they are a lot of companies are just downsizing, uh, and it's I, I I know I I'm sure several of us have written about it. I, I did a post last week where I tried to round up a couple of the companies that have done layoffs lately. But it's it's also hard to it's hard to verify a lot of what you hear. I I, I have found it's hard to verify a lot of what you hear in terms of layoffs and uh, you know there's if if a layoff gets to a certain size then then they have to report it under the Warren Act or whatever and you can find some documentation about it but uh, I think what some companies are doing is kind of a a, a trickle uh, layoff strategy where they lay people off uh, over a series of months so they can avoid uh, any kind of reporting uh, activity uh, but you know we do know that some of these large companies I mean even even Thomson Reuters is moving into a, a smaller facility uh, after for years, having been in that massive uh, facility in Egan uh, for almost as long as I can remember. Uh, and uh, now they're, you know, who knows how many people are, or how many fewer people are working. And some of that could again be because of remote working and, and, and other issues. But uh, these companies are getting smaller and clearly support is going to be one thing that's going to suffer uh, inevitably because of that. But I feel like, Gene, also to your point about they used to cut deals with firms and whatever. I mean, at least when I was practicing, which was, I mean, you had Lexus and you had Westlaw and they basically, they were, you were, they, those were the two and they did research. Now they've all developed so many other technologies and companies within them that like, sure, they're competitors in the research front, but they're, they don't coexist as like Lexus versus Westlaw in my mind, the way they did back then. So they don't, I don't feel like they need the deal. They don't, they have the incentive to cut you a deal on your research costs to outbid the other one as much. Well, I'm not even saying cut a deal on the research costs. I'm saying give us support in the middle oh, of the yeah. when lawyers are working. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we got, uh, we got a few minutes left here to uh, go around and talk about some of our predictions for what's, uh, what's ahead for 2023. Uh, and uh, we've kind of touched a little bit, maybe on all of these, but but Steve, since you were right about 2022, uh, why don't we start with what you're predicting for 2023? <laughs> well, I, I think I already uh, talked about it. And, yeah, we did know, talk about predictions. Yeah, there's going to be a, a war over remote work 
associates versus partners, office space, all those kinds of things. And I think I think it's got to come to a head because it's you know it's been kind of simmering along. Some firms have gone one place, other firms have gone another. Some firms have reversed course entirely, and you know sooner or later there's going to have to be some some decisions made or or maybe not i mean maybe it's a new normal we we won't policies will change overnight who knows but i do think that will be uh, a subject of much debate in the coming year yeah uh Gene, again, I, I, I just I realized we've, we've kind of talked about some of these, but you want to offer your prediction for the year? I'll just I, I, I predict there will be at least one major legal tech company will release a game changing chat like technology. I think something big is going to happen in 2023. And, and, and I also agree about changing the, the whole back to office thing. It's going to shake out. That'll be interesting to see where that lands. Yeah. Stephanie, how about you? Uh, yeah, the GPT is my biggest. We're going to see huge, huge stuff there. I don't know who's going to break it first, um, but I agree with Gene. But I do also agree with what you were saying that I think we're going to see some really interesting things in the M&A space. Oh, please tell me you have a prediction it's not GPT-3. Uh, so I, what I think is going to happen is uh, we are looking at an economic conditions that people are worried about, but not too, too worried. Things seem like they're coming around, but everyone's a little nervous, yada, yada. Uh, that said, we've seen some layoffs. Those layoffs tend to be firms that have been very, you know, a big tech practice, you know, your Gundersons and Cooleys and stuff like that. So my prediction is that, and it may not be come to fruition uh, in 2023, but it's going to happen in 2023. I think we're going to have a new little clutch of uh legal tech entrepreneurs coming out now. We've got people who uh, are seeing, whether they are being laid off or they're seeing that that can happen in their kind of practice uh, from big law, who are who have ideas and are smart and tech savvy and may not want to go back to that world. Uh, that's kind of the recipe for somebody to finally take the plunge and get into this stuff. So I think you know, out of that Cooley, Gunderson, so all the Silicon Valley uh, little stealth layoffs and such that we're seeing uh, are the next generation of idea makers. Yep. And uh, yeah, I was on the uh, chat GPT bandwagon as well in terms of my predictions for next year. I mean, I, I, I think exactly what, what Gene just said. We're, we're, we're clearly going to see somebody come through and, and I would go even farther and say several somebodies, but at least one uh, come through with some really interesting technology in a legal world built on chat GPT uh, or GPT-3 or GPT-3.5 or 4 or wherever we are at that point. Um, Megan. Yeah. At Megan. And uh, I, I think it's really going to be a game changer. And uh, I, I think we're going to see that. Um, I would, I, I would add, I, sorry, yeah. I would add to that with a more bold yeah. prediction than just GPT is big. I think one of those big players is going to be someone from a completely like nascent legal tech market. It's not going to be a U.S. company or even like a British company. Someone's going to come <laughs> out of somewhere and blow everyone away. That's my prediction. Yeah. yeah I would add, I'm just sitting here thinking about after listening to Joe, I, I would also add in terms of what could happen, you know, a lot of law firms have, and a lot of partners have made a whole lot of money during the pandemic because demand has been extremely high and costs sort of by necessity have been reduced. But now we may be entering either a recessionary period of the economy in general, but 
certainly the signs seem to point to a reduction in demand for legal services, which is going to put a horrible strain on a lot of law firms and law firm management. Um, because, you know, God knows there's there's nothing worse than a partner who makes less money this year than last year. That partner is not happy and can perfectly capable of raising hell, particularly if there's more than one. And so, uh, you know, we could see some law firms implode or, or go down because they've gotten so fat and so rich. And, um, you know, 2023 may be the year some of those chickens come home to roost. Yeah. All right. Well, if any of that happens, we will uh, talk about it next year, I hope. And uh, in the meantime, I wish everybody uh, a very happy new year, a very successful and fulfilling 2023. Thanks to all of you. Thanks to all of you for doing this week after week. Appreciate it. Yep. Happy new year. Happy new year, everyone. Bye all. Yeah.